So uh, I have a guest once again today on the show. This time it's a brother in Christ from over in Ontario, Mr. Ken Stouffer. And he's actually the resource person for the Christian Heritage Party, which I also happen to be a member of. Uh, and um, we'll be talking about um, Christian nations and biblical influence on the nations, both in the past and um, going forward as well. So um, without further ado, I welcome my brother in Christ, Ken Stouffer. Well, that's great, Chris. Thanks very much. I appreciate coming on your podcast and um, mm. in my work as the National Development Director for the Christian Heritage Party. Um, um, what I what my role is largely about is is uh, making the Christian Heritage Party known in Canada. I find that there's many people, many church-going people who've never heard of the Christian Heritage Party. And, and so uh, your podcast like yours is one way to help more people hear about the Christian Heritage Party and, and what they have to offer. I think it would be great if we just went ahead with you giving some examples of um, some of the wonderful ways Christianity has influenced our nation and others throughout the world. Yeah, well, you know what? This is a, this is a, a very, very important issue. Uh, Christians have literally built Western civilization. And this is a largely unknown piece of history and a critical piece of history We've, we've evolved to the point in um, in the Western world where Christianity is viewed as a negative, as, as a net harm to mankind, when the exact opposite is the truth. Um, Christianity has made the world a more prosperous and freer place by far. Um, there's a fellow by the name of Tom Holland who wrote a book called Dominion, and I I, I don't I, I don't think this fellow Tom Holland is a what you would call a born-again Christian. However, what he found in his studies of the Greco-Roman world was that the, um, the, and that's his, I guess his specialty is the Greco-Roman world. <clears throat> and the more he dug into that history, he found that it was a, it was a culture that was very alien to him because that the Greco-Roman culture was so harsh and unkind and uh, just had very, very little value for human life. And um, and he just found this alien and um, not something that he would like to be a part of. And he, so he came to realize that his views were shaped by Christianity and uh, and he it helped him to appreciate Christianity and the fact that Christianity has brought kindness and uh, benevolence to the world and amongst many other things. And like, just as a, for example, Virtually every benevolent organization on earth uh, was either started by or inspired by Christians. And by that, I mean, of course, hospitals and orphanages and homes to care for old people and um, leper colonies and so forth. So, um, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of amazing information. I, and I, as we go along, I'd be glad to delve more into that. Excellent. Actually, let's talk about some of that. So. So um, you mentioned the the benevolent uh, organizations were were majority Christian. What were some of the other big organizations, maybe from the past, that people would recognize that were associated with Christianity? Sure. Well, the uh, the Red Cross was started by a the visionary for the Red Cross was uh, a Christian fellow, and um, uh, let me see here the Children's Aid Society. It was founded in night in 1853 by a fellow named Charles Loring Brace, and he was an American pastor, and and he formed that organization to help vagrant 
urban boys and girls. And, and as part of, uh, just imagine this, I mean, what a contrast to today, but um, their program at the time included learning the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and other Bible teaching. And and like like so many things that Christians have started, uh, these things have all been turned over to the state now. But um, uh, the United Way, I mean, the United Way is a huge uh, benevolent organization, and it's not regarded as a highly efficient organization. There's, it's regarded as an organization that has a lot of overhead. Um, but it was started in 1887 by a number of Christian leaders, and the organization at that time was called the Charity Organs organizations society and and it's now known as the united way and and the the ymca and the ywca began in the mid-1800s as christian associations seeking to impart christian beliefs and values to young people and i imagine that a lot of people know that ymca stands for young men's christian association and ywca stands for young women's christian association like these other groups i think that the christian part of it is pretty much uh gone from the equation Mm. but um but that's that's how these things got started. And it's interesting to note some of the older listeners will have heard of a journalist by the name of Malcolm Muggeridge. And uh, he was a favorite of my my mother. My mother's 93 years old. So you'll get an idea how old Malcolm Muggeridge is. He like he passed away quite a few years ago, probably 20 years or so ago. But um, he was a very famous journalist. And for much of his life, he remained uh, an atheist. And it was only in his later years that he became a Christian. But when he was still an atheist, he noted that um, it was Christians that gave up their comforts and risked their lives to serve the poorest of the poor. And even though he was still an atheist, he observed that atheistic humanism had not inspired anyone to devote his or her life to serve the dying destitute of Calcutta or wherever else it might be. And um, this is an argument that I, I just encourage Christians, if there's if they're ever challenged by an atheist they ought to just come back and say well let's talk about that let's tell me about what has atheism done for the world and um i can tell you what christianity has done for the world and then you can fill them in on uh, the hospitals and orphanages and on and on and on uh, that um, christians have done to serve the uh, the poor and um and on that note it, it's it's interesting to note that darwin's theory of evolution the kind of the underlying philosophy of that, I would call it a religion, mm. even though it's supposedly a scientific theory, but it's a um, uh, survival of the fittest is the is an underlying mm-hmm. philosophy. And by its nature, survival of the fittest, that philosophy could never inspire the many initiatives of compassion that were inspired by the teachings of Jesus. And the Bible says, by their fruits, you shall know them. And so, you know, what are the fruits of atheism? And the fruits of atheism are death and destruction. Uh, you look at you look at the communist governments of Russia and China and, and Cambodia and wherever wherever communism has been implemented, it has brought massive destruction and death and poverty. And uh, wherever Christianity goes, it brings freedom and prosperity. So. Um, we have history on our side. Excellent. Yeah, it would uh, definitely make sense that um, um, if you were uh, a humanist of any type, but atheistic humanists especially, that you wouldn't be necessarily very compassionate because as you mentioned, the the belief, uh, the religious, almost cult-like belief in um, <clears throat> Darwin's theory, um, idea of evolution, uh, which is not true, but 
unfortunately most of the world believes is, <laughs> that theory, that idea, the fact that it is built on survival of the fittest and and on a um, on chaos, essentially. It's built on an unguided, chaotic mess. So if you believe that, then basically you don't have any real meaning to life, right? So it makes sense that you then don't have any, since you think life doesn't mean, is meaningless, then why would you care about the 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 life of other people and how that how their life was doing right so it, w- it would make absolute sense from them their point of view um yeah. if you take if you take that viewpoint to its um logical but horrific conclusion that mm-hmm. that that's where it would actually lead yeah that's right that's right and um and if, if just to go on through uh through history um looking into the 1800s there was a in England, a gentleman by the name of Anthony Ashley Cooper, and he was also known as Lord Shaftesbury, and, and he was a committed commis- uh, Christian, and he led the push to introduce child labor laws in England, which protected children from exploitation. And uh, his work in England influenced the child labor laws of the entire Western world. And um, there's a gentleman by the name of Vishal Mangawadi, and he wrote a book called The Book That Made Your World. And the subtitle of the book is How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. Every Christian, in fact, not just Christians, every person that lives uh, in the Western world, in fact, I would say in the entire world, but certainly the Western world, should read that book. Because unless you understand what he writes in that book, you don't understand the the context that we live in, the historical context. And it's a brilliant book. Uh, in fact, it's so well written that um, that uh, Jordan Peterson, he, re- he read that book as well as another book that Michelle wrote called um, This Book Changed Everything. And that's another book about the Bible. And um, Jordan Peterson was so impressed by this these books that he invited Vishal Mangawadi onto his podcast a little, a little less than a year ago. And... Um, Interviewed him for about an hour and 40 minutes uh, with respect to the impact of Christianity on the world mm-hmm. and the impact of the Bible in particular on the world. And um, throughout that um, conversation, Jordan Peterson complimented Michelle on how well he had made his points. And uh, and it, it's it, Michelle's book is easy to read. He makes his points in a very readable style. He's got many, um, many true stories woven throughout the book to make it more interesting. And, um, and I might add that Bishal Mangawadi is doing a tour through Southern Ontario this week. And uh, he'll be in Mississauga and Hamilton and St. Catharines over the next few days. He's speaking in Mississauga, I think it's tonight and t- tomorrow night and Thursday night. And uh, maybe it's on Friday, he's in Hamilton. And then on, on Saturday, he's speaking at Brock University in St. Catharines. And um, if anybody wants details on that, they can um, they can email me at uh, development director at chp.ca. That's development director at chp.ca. So a little that's a little bit of an aside there in relation to Vishal Mangawadi's book. But um, there's another uh, here's another just amazing piece of history. Um, the Widows Fund in Scotland was a fund that began modern insurance and risk management and. The Widow's Fund was created by two Christian pastors in Scotland, and both of them were mathematicians as well as Bible preachers. And they formed the Widow's Fund because 
they observed that when a when a pastor and of course pastors typically don't get paid a lot and in those days it was probably even worse in terms of how they got paid and so what would happen is the uh, when these pastors died their widows were left destitute and and so in order to provide for these widows they put their mathematical skills to work and they created the first uh, pension fund and it was called the widows fund in scotland and they did such an excellent job of setting up this fund. Their mathematics were so good and their business sense and, and skills were so good that this widow's fund became the, uh, the vehicle from which the entire risk management sector grew. So uh-huh. uh, thanks to these two pastors, uh, we have our insurance industry, a massive global industry now, um, and, you know, group insurance benefits and all these things sprang from this widow's fund that was developed by these two pastors. Um, and then just in, t- in terms of other things that Christians have done to help people, um, the, the idea of teaching the deaf and inaudible language originated largely as a result of the strong Christian convictions of three individuals Um one was called Abbe Charles Michel de Lepay, the other was Thomas uh, Galvaudet, and the third was Laurent Clerc. And then the greatest step forward in educating the blind came through Louis Braille, uh, who was a dedicated Christian. And and here's a another another of the amazing facts of what Christianity has contributed to the world, and that is that all of the first universities were founded as Christian institutions, and. Um, Take, for example, Harvard in the United States. Harvard was uh, started uh, by Christians, and um, in their, they have a logo that has the, um, that talks about Christ and uh, and truth, and uh, that's their old original logo. And um, if we look at just some of the major universities around the world, like Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Uh, Brown University, Columbia University in the United States, in in England, Oxford, Harvard, or sorry, Oxford, Cambridge, um, in Canada. Here's a, here's a list of universities in Canada that were started by Christians, and most of these were by Christian denominations. Uh, we have the University of Toronto, Queens, Western, McMaster, Laurentian, Concordia, Laval, Acadia, Dalhousie, Saint Francis Xavier, Mount Allison. The University of Windsor, the University of Manitoba, and the University of Saskatchewan—they all had Christian origins, and uh, so you know the list goes on and on. And, it, 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 and again, I have more that I can share with you, but uh, uh, you know, and just along the lines of education, it was the fact that we have as much literacy for the masses as we do in the world is thanks to Christian missionaries. Um, and it all has to do with that Christian missionary uh, desire for people to be able to read the Bible and study the Bible and grow as Christians and become Christians, first of all, and then grow as Christians. And, and so the missionaries, they spread out all over the world. And, and what they will do is they, they go into a country and, and the typical thing, wherever they went in the world, was that there would be an elite few who could read and write, but the masses of the people were completely illiterate. They could talk but they didn't know how to read and write. And so the missionaries would learn their language. They would create a written language. Then they would teach the people how to read and write in the, in their own language that the missionaries created for them. And then they would teach them to read the Bible. And then, and then they would, they would, 
during this whole process, they would translate the Bible into that language and then teach the people to read the Bible. And um, like, just to give you an idea of the scale of what they did, like Hindi is the national language of India. And I worked up until a year and a little bit ago, I spent over 30 years as a headhunter or recruiter. And I recruited people for, for many big companies in the, uh, mostly in the greater Toronto area. I also did some recruiting for some Christian organizations, but, but um, I interviewed many people from India. And of course, many of these people spoke Hindi. And uh, I also, I also interviewed people who spoke Bengali and Urdu. I had no idea that all of those languages that I just mentioned were created by Christian missionaries. So there's the national language of India, Hindi, the national language of Pakistan, I think that's the Urdu one, and the, Pac the, uh, the national English of Bangladesh uh, is Bengali, and they were all created by Christian missionaries. So it, the, the impact of Christianity in terms of education and benevolence and uh, just about every positive thing that you can think of in our life today is because of Christians, and yet this has been suppressed. It's really the greatest elephant in the room of the world, and, in, and looking at us as Canada, it's it's the greatest elephant elephant in the room of Canada. The fact that um, Canada became strong and prosperous and free thanks to Christianity. Without Christianity, we wouldn't be strong and free. Again, just some of the um, some of the amazing information that's out there about what Christianity has, has done for the world. Absolutely. And it, it definitely makes sense um, when you think about, as you mentioned, where education literacy started a lot with missionaries and with Christians, why we're sort of in the mess we are today with <laughs> the lack of um, proper education and um, actually people knowing real usable information for things because the 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 christian bedrock for it all has been you know it's been it's it's gone the foundation was ripped away and still yeah. now we have education you know is pretty much unfortunately it's become pretty much the domain at least public education has been the domain of of paganism and um i would say even outright satanism um very evil, vile things replaced the foundation that was there because it was eroded away by um, um, by numerous factors, and so it makes sense why we're sort of in the indoctrinating mess we are today in terms of our public education system and the universities and everything because of the foundations. I mean, if you it's hard to actually teach and believe in absolute or objective truth without uh, actual uh, understanding and belief in God, right? Because that, sure. because without a, some sort of absolute standard, then it becomes, well, again, chaotic and all over the place. And that's very much what we have today in education. We have non-education as education because we have people the people in charge of education are one um the government which i don't think they should be in they, even involved in education but let's let's not go down that r rabbit trail but let but either way the people who are in charge who are in charge of education are no longer people who do have the even the belief that a, 
um, it seems that objective truth or absolutes even exist. It's all about feelings and it's all about my truth and your truth and (laughs) that sort of thing. So it's completely, and that's because the foundations which included absolute truth in belief in God, in belief in the true God, in the belief in Christ and in the belief in Christianity is, has eroded away. And then once, you know, once the foundations fail, (laughs) right. You have, you have replacements coming in. Yeah. And right now we're in that, we're in a situation where the foundations have failed because uh, as a society, we've thrown God out the door. (laughs) And uh, whenever you throw God out the door, um, freedom and prosperity go out the door behind it. And, and um, again, something that that people don't understand is that our freedom comes from the Bible. And I'll just talk a little bit about that. And, uh, but, you know, as the Christian heritage party, um, we need, I, that's one of the things that I'm focused on is that we as the Christian Heritage Party need to educate and encourage the educating of Canadians, both in the church and outside the church, about what Christianity has done for the world. Because in order to, um, in order for people to even stop and start to consider having a, having people from the Christian Heritage Party in positions, uh, in positions of members of parliament, um, they're going to have to appreciate Christianity. And so, uh, there's there is so much to appreciate, but because of our the because of the bias of our public education system, and because of the um, the secular bias of our media and the secular bias of our universities, they suppress all this information and they leave it out when they're talking about history. But um, we need to, so we need to and educate Canadians on what Christians have done for the world because. Uh, until that's done, then how can we expect them to vote for a party that calls itself the Christian Heritage mm-hmm. Party? So, um, and just to give you an example of, of uh, how the how freedom comes out of the Bible, we we should talk about the Magna Carta, which happened in tw- in the year twelve fifteen, and um, Canada's legal system flows out of <laughs> excuse me, Canada's legal system flows out of the legal system of the United States or out of England. And the United States legal system also flows out of out of England's. Um, I think that the United States, the, the founders of the United States, did a better job of of uh, structuring things so that there's more checks and balances in the way things are set up down there. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, what we have came out of England, and England, one of the foundations of England's legal and uh, parliamentary system is the Magna Carta, and. Uh, at that time, the king was a fellow by the name of King John, and he was he was a tyrant. He reminds me of Justin Trudeau. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a, he was a, he was a, someone who just wanted to do whatever, <coughs> me, whatever he wanted to do, he would do it. And the uh, the noblemen of the country were fed up, and uh, and so Archbishop Stephen Langdon got in between these two parties, and he brokered the Magna Carta. And in fact, he wrote the Magna Carta. Uh, Archbishop Stephen Langdon was trained in canon law and biblical law, and he wrote the Magna Carta. And uh, we owe a debt of gratitude to Archbishop Stephen Langdon because I think that was a very dangerous job that he undertook. Anybody who um, who um, gets in there and uh, puts King John in a situation where, like King John, despised the Magna Carta, he despised the whole idea of being accountable to somebody higher than himself. 
namely the law and God. And um, and uh, so so I think Archbishop Stephen Langdon was like putting his very life on the line in doing what he did. And uh, that has become one of the very large foundation stones of the liberty of the Western world. And just to um, move into Canada's history a little bit and the influence of Christianity on Canada in particular, every, all of us, when we go back to our, our history classes from our elementary and high school, the name Jacques Cartier is a familiar name to uh, most Canadians. <laughs> and and uh, he sailed up the St. Lawrence River in 1533. And to commemorate the founding of Montreal, he wrote in his diary, we all kneeled down in the company of the Indians and with our hands raised toward heaven, yielded our thanks to God. Uh, when was the last time you heard that, that, he, that Jacques Cartier kneeled down and, and gave thanks to God? I never heard that until I researched this uh, PowerPoint presentation that I put mm -hmm. together on how Christianity shaped Canada. And Samuel de Champlain, another very well-known name in Canadian history, um, he's known as the father of New France, and um, he wrote this in his diary about the natives. He said, the Aborigines are living without God and without religion. I thereupon concluded in my private judgment that I should be committing a great sin if I did not make it my business to devise some means of bringing them to the knowledge of God. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, well, absolutely. Absolutely beautiful. And, and um and then we had uh, an individual by the name of Jean de Brebeuf. Uh, he was a Jesuit missionary, and he was he was based in Ontario. In fact, I live in Alliston, Ontario, and Jean de Brebeuf was ministering to the Huron Indians about an hour and 15 minutes north of where I live, just up, just south of Georgian Bay. And uh, in his writings, he, he wrote quite a few things, and and it's very clear that he prized Jesus Christ above all. And, and it was also very clear from his writings that he was prepared to, to give his life uh, as a martyr for Jesus. And, mm -hmm. and um, when he was writing back to France to, uh, regarding, you know, the other missionaries that were interested in coming over, he made it very clear to them that your life will be in danger. He made it clear that his life was constantly in danger because the natives were very superstitious, and if there was some calamity in the tribe, uh, maybe they didn't have a good hunt, or they somebody died or whatever. Because of their superstitions, they would tend to blame it on him, and so he had to be watching his back all the time. And um, but ultimately, the Iroquois Indians and the Huron Indians were enemies, and the Iroquois attacked the Hurons and they captured Jean de Brebeuf, and the Iroquois were very very savage torturers and um they sat they they um they like the, the martyrdom of jean de Brebeuf is one of the most horrific in the annals of christianity i mean they they um tied him to a stake and they lit a fire around him they they cut off his feet so that he couldn't stamp out the flames with his feet they um they poured boiling water over his head slowly poured boiling water over his head in a mockery of baptism. Um, and he was like, he was praising God throughout this. And they were, the Iroquois were frustrated that they weren't uh, getting him to, to freak out. Um, they tore his fingernails out of his fingers. They, um, I think I may have mentioned, they cut out his tongue. They cut off his lips. 
they cut strips of flesh off his living body and cooked them over the fire and then ate them in front of him. Um, and then in the later stages, they scalped him. And then finally, they um, they cut open his chest and they ate his heart and they drank his blood, nice. thinking that they might imbibe some of his courage. But, um, you know, I, I one of the reasons, there's a couple of reasons I like to share that illustration. And one is, like, you think about how much ground we have lost in the last hundred years. Like Christianity in the Western world has lost its transformative power. Up until about a hundred years ago in the Western world, Christianity was making gains and uh, driving out paganism and replacing it with the, uh, with the benevolence and the freedom and the prosperity of, of Christianity. And obviously there were many times throughout history where Christianity would take three steps forward and then take two steps backward. And, and, um, and certainly right now in Canada, we are taking a number of steps backward and we, but Christianity has lost its transformative power. And, and, um, and I believe one of the reasons that Christianity has lost its transformative power is because we have lost that commitment illustrated by Jean de Brebeuf and illustrated by countless other martyrs, people who loved Jesus unto death. They were willing to sacrifice their lives to see Jesus Christ glorified and his kingdom built. And, you know, we've gotten so prosperous and so soft that Christianity has been watered down because so many Christians don't want to offend anybody. And so they just keep watering down and watering down the gospel. And, um, here we are today where the the, the um, church has become a, basically a, a non-factor. Paganism is growing and throwing out the things that are left over from Christianity and replacing our formerly Christian laws with, with pagan laws. And uh, so we need to get back to that commitment. And, uh, and another thing that Jean de Brebeuf's life brings to mind is, um, is the, 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 the awful state that the um, the native Indians lived in before Christianity, and I and I say this because and I, I've got some insight on it because about 15 years ago I went to visit a missionary who lives in who lived at the time she's retired now, but she lived in Irian Jaya, which is Papua, uh, Indonesia, one of the most remote parts of the earth. It's just south of the equator, just north of Australia, and the missionaries went to Papua. In, 19, in the 1950s, I was born in the 1950s, and in the 1950s, when the missionaries went there, the natives were cannibals. And obviously, we had cannibalism here in Canada back at the time of Jean de Babeuf. And um, and these these natives in Papua lived an awful life. Like they 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 were also very superstitious. They were what are called animists, where they believed that there were spirits in the water and in the hills and the mountains and the trees and and they lived in fear of these spirits. And um, if something went wrong, they interpreted that as someone had offended one of the spirits. And so in Papua, if something went wrong, they, to appease these spirits, they would sacrifice, often they would sacrifice the life of one of the people in their tribe. And typically it would be a little old woman who wouldn't be able to defend herself. And so when the missionaries came in, they taught them that that Jesus Christ is much stronger than these spirits. And they taught them about forgiveness. And I remember reading about one tribe that once, once they decided, yes, we believe in Jesus, 
they, uh, they burned their weapons and they went to this neighboring tribe that they'd been at war with for generations and they asked forgiveness of the, that tribe. And um, the missionaries taught them about sanitation. These um, in Papua, the two main ways that people accumulated wealth was by having pigs and by growing sweet potatoes. And, um, but they had no idea of sanitation. They would, the pigs would be in, the, in, a, in a river uh, doing their business in the river and drinking in the river. And downstream from the pigs, they would go and draw their drinking water. And then they drink that water and then they, then they get sick and then they blame it on somebody in the tribe when in fact it was simply because they didn't understand sanitation. And they valued their pigs so highly and they valued their women so lowly that they, they made the women and the pigs live in the same, uh, in the same hut and the men slept in their own hut. And uh, so the missionaries taught them uh, about valuing their women and treating their women with respect. And, uh, and they taught them that they shouldn't have pigs in their same huts and running around in their living spaces because of the sanitation issue. And so the people's health improved and the missionaries brought medicines that solved a lot of health issues for them. And um, just in so many ways, Christianity resulted in a much better uh, way of life. And, and these days, Christianity is often talked about as a negative. people from North America came and uh, there's, there isn't an appreciation of what the, uh, the missionaries brought to the Indians in terms of the things I just mentioned. So uh, those are, again, some of the, the rich history that people, most people don't know about him. And we need to, uh, we need to know this to have a proper understanding of, um, you know, where our blessings are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. A absolutely. I totally agree that um, the um, <clears throat> Christianity has become not as much of a transformative power as it used to be. Um, the, I believe that, unfortunately, um, for various reasons, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of retreatism and escapism um, <clears throat> amongst Christians sort of the idea that, you know, um, you know, the world's basically going to go to Hachi double hockey sticks in a handbasket and uh, basically let's basically do nothing unless let's just wait for um, Christ to come back and, and not do anything in, in the meantime, because nothing we can do will make a difference in the meantime. Some right. of them think so. Mm -hmm. um, having that sort of viewpoint makes it easy to sort of retreat and escape into your own little bubble and say, and say to yourself, you know, let's not do anything about culture. Let's not do anything about politics. Let's not do anything about anything, right? Let's right. just sort of hunker down and just wait and do nothing. <laughs> and yeah. I think, and I think that sort of viewpoint, which, um, and I don't want to sound like I'm throwing any of our um, brothers or sisters in Christ who might listen to this in the, in, uh, under the bus, but that's sort of um, very um, sort of uh, uh, um, dispensational sort of dispy sort of viewpoint <laughs> um, um, and, and pre-trib rapture sort of viewpoint. Unfortunately, I believe it, it has 
has caused Christians to not care about the world because I mean, you know, if, if the entire world is evil anyways, and it's just going to get more evil, you know, why bother to do, do anything, right? Yeah. No, that's right. And um, just to uh, talk a little bit about the, um, the fruit, uh, the fruit of Christianity compared to the fruit of secular humanism or another term you could use is paganism. Um, is again, Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. And so um, most people know that in the 1960s, we had what's called the sexual revolution. And um, that's when the uh, the birth control pill uh, was, it had been developed and, and came to the market in the 1960s. And, and it was heralded as this great liberation thing where, um, you know, people could have sex and not worry about having a child. And, and, um, and this was supposed to be liberating in the, and it was heralded as a time of throwing off the shackles of um, oppressive Christian morals. And um, But now that we've uh, had quite a few years have gone by since the 1960s, we can look back and, and say, okay, well, what has been the fruit of this, um, this, this so-called sexual liberation? And here's one aspect of it is, is that prior to the 1960s, uh, teenage suicide in the United States was virtually non-existent among American youth. By 1980, almost 400,000 adolescents were attempting suicide every year. Um, we look at let's look at the issue of fatherlessness. In the in Canada, in the late 1800s, uh, fatherlessness was almost unknown. In fact, they took marriage so seriously in Canada in the late 1800s that if you wanted a divorce, you had to take your case to a parliamentary committee in Ottawa. And they, on average, had two or three divorces per year. And um, so then by the 1960s, you had 20 to 25 percent fatherlessness. And by now, it's 50 to 60 percent fatherlessness and much higher in many black communities. And, and then looking at our laws, uh, the laws have shifted where... Um, in the last 40 years, the following evil things have become legal. Abortion has become legal in the last 40 years. Homosexuality, euthanasia, and transgenderism have all been legalized in the last 40 years. And that's those are fruits of this paganistic or secular humanistic yeah. point of view. And um, the uh, Darwin's theory of evolution, you know, in the late 1800s, it was just a... Uh, it was just getting started. The momentum of it was just getting started and the impacts of it in on society were still uh, minor, but now we're over a hundred years later and, and the, the implications of Darwin's theory of evolution have spread like a cancer through every dimension of society and yielded this deadly fruit that I've just mm -hmm. mentioned. And um, so again, we've got to look at the fruit. It's very important. So the question that we need to ask is like, how did Western civilization fall so far so fast? How did Canada fall so far so fast? And um, and of course the answer is that we turned away from God. It was that it's that simple. And then how do we get back to freedom and prosperity? And the answer to that is simple as well. And and when enough Canadians repent and turn back to God, He will rescue us. And uh, I am convinced that the only thing that's going to rescue us here in Canada is a is a full-blown spiritual revival, a great awakening. Um, mm. There's no, there's no politician 
who can rescue us. It's going to be God. And, and um, this is why I am with the Christian Heritage Party is because it's the only uh, it's the only federal political party that is unabashedly pointing people to God. And, and um, uh, so we need to get back to God. So we need to ask ourselves, what, what does turning back to God look like? And, and that what it looks like is, is facing and repenting of our tendency. And this applies to Christians and non-Christians. We need to repent of our tendency to be more interested in entertainment and comfort, financial security, material things and how we feel uh, than knowing the word of God deeply and obeying it in every dimension of life, no matter the cost. And, and I think uh, pornography is, is, a, is a terrible scourge on society. And unfortunately, it's in, infected the church to a, a huge degree. And, and people need to repent of that. And, and, uh, and, um, and, 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 you know, the Apostle Paul talked about dying daily. And uh, there's another scripture passage in the Gospels that says, violent men take the kingdom of God. And um, uh, we need to be violent on our sinful nature and, uh, and, and kill it when, when, we, when we feel the, um, the passions of our sinful nature rising up. We need to, we need to be violent uh, against that sinful nature and not let it get any foothold in us and, uh, and lead us into sin. Um, we need also to take the Great Commission more seriously and increase our efforts to evangelize our communities, no matter the cost. And again, I'm thinking back to the, the martyrs like uh, Jean de Brebeuf, no matter the cost, uh, no, and we have to be willing to lose everything for Jesus. And we know that Jesus said, if you, uh, you want to gain everything, you have to lose everything. And there's a, a scripture called, a scripture in Revelation, it's Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And that scripture is a recipe for overcoming the devil. And it says, and they overcame him, and him is the devil. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life, even when faced with death. Um, and so then there comes the whole question of should Christians get involved in politics? And we need to look at that. If the implications of the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all the nations. He said, make disciples of all the nations. He didn't say, make disciples of all the individual people, although that is implicit in what he said. But he said, make disciples of all the nations. So when you unpack that, it's clear that Jesus' intention is for his people to go out and see the nations Christianized. And narrowing that down to Canada it's clear that Jesus wants Canada to be a Christian nation. And if we're going to be a Christian nation, obviously the laws of the land are going to be based on the biblical law, the biblical principles. Um, think about the Lord's Prayer where, where Jesus prayed, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, will there be abortion? No, there won't be abortion. Will there be homosexuality? No, there won't be homosexuality. Um, and on and on. Um, implications of Jesus being King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and having all authority in heaven and earth. Uh, that's a political statement. And, and it, I, I read a thing recently, and I agree with it, that the gospel, right at its core, is political. Because when the Bible says that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and all authority in heaven and earth are 
under Jesus, then his lordship is to extend over every dimension of life on this planet. And so, and that's all part and parcel of the gospel. And um, yeah, and Christians need to be in positions of authority to be working about bringing about laws that are going to bring in uh, prosperity and freedom. You know, people think about the Ten Commandments and there's been this myth out there that the Ten Commandments are stifling and restrictive and they're harmful to, uh, to creativity and human flourishing when the exact opposite is the case. The Ten Commandments uh, are guardrails to um, bring about freedom and prosperity, uh, flourishing of human beings. I mean, since when, uh, it's, you know, they said one of the Ten Commandments says, you know, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Well, doesn't that make sense? What happens when somebody covets his neighbor's wife and they have adultery and then families get broken up and children get terribly emotionally damaged? And you can go right through the whole Ten Commandments and just think through the implications of when people break those commandments and all the damage that it does. So, that the Ten Commandments are a recipe for human prosperity and flourishing, and um, and in, in terms of Christians getting involved in politics, we have biblical political leaders such as Moses, Joseph, Daniel, and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and then there was David and Solomon and other good kings recorded in the Old Testament, and and William Wilberforce is a more recent, well-known Christian political figure who led the the effort to abolish the slave trade in England. And um, and it was Christians who led the push to end slavery in Britain and the United States. So in terms of next steps in taking our country back, we need to teach our families and the people in our churches the biblical position on, on all the important hot issues of the day. For example, evolution, abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, freedom of speech, bodily sovereignty, and on and on. Um, Christians need to have lots of children. And we, because in, in Genesis, God said, be fruitful and multiply. He never rescinded that directive. And um, the Islamists understand uh, from a political point of view, the importance of having lots of children. We need to understand it in terms of being obedient to God and, and uh, fulfilling the mandate of, um, of uh, making disciples of the nations. And when we have lots of children, when we're, and I, and I wish I knew this when I was a young parent. I mean, thankfully we have, my wife and I have five children and we have 27 grandchildren and, and, uh, and our, and our five children are following Jesus, which I'm so thankful for, but there's so much that I didn't know when I was a young parent. And, and uh, I wish I'd been in an environment where we were encouraged to study uh, how to be an outstanding parent, to, like to study biblical parenting skills so that, we could raise up our children to be like like the arrows in a quiver. You know, the Bible talks about children as being quivers in your arrow. And what a blessing it is to have a full quiver. Um, and an arrow is a weapon. And it's a weapon that's meant to be used in the service of God for the establishing of his kingdom. And weapons, you know, arrows, they're sharp, they're strong, they're straight, they shoot straight. And, um, and we need to be able to train our children to be like arrows to be effective weapons in God's hand to, to peacefully bring about God's kingdom. Uh, and um, we need to get our children out of public schools and we need yes. to encourage, you know, and we need to encourage Christians to run for political office at every level and always get out and vote. Um, we need to vote for the candidate who most represents biblical values and 
help that person get elected and we need to speak up on social media like for instance share posts that are going to help people understand who jesus christ is and and what he do has done for the world and and we need to speak up at work and write to politicians and we need to pray and i i put prayer last not because it's the least important it's actually the most important but as in Canadian, uh, as Canadians, we tend to say, oh, I'll pray about it, but then we don't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do anything about it, then I, I do question the um, sincerity of the prayer. We need to pray and we need to take action. So um, those are some mm -hmm. points there. Yeah, it's uh, interesting um, that we keep coming back so often to um, um, evolutionism, <laughs> uh, as we talk about this, because I think that that's also something in, that's something with the churches that we also need to um, hunker down and train people in because I think there's there's way too much compromise within the churches in regards to um, evolutionary thinking because even even if you believe in um, Genesis, uh, there are quite a few people out there who are our brothers and sisters in Christ who who will actually accept the evolutionary time scale. Mm -hmm. And other things that are not in the Bible at all, and I think that that opens up can open up in a person sort of a a realm of doubt. The fact that um, there's a possibility that there's that Genesis, the first two chapters, are not what they seem. That mean you know maybe the days mean you know billions or millions or whatever years instead of day. And by questioning that, it's almost like you're almost in a way listening to the very temptation of Satan that's in the garden of Eden, you know, did God really say, and if you're unwilling to have a bedrock of that, that, you know, the earth is young, it's six to 10,000 years, depending on who you talk to and that it was created in six days. And then God did rest on the seven and that Genesis actually means what it says then you're opening yourself up to then, I think, being able to come up with excuses to get away from things like, you know, what should biblical law be? Because then you can think to yourself, well, you know, maybe there is another standard for law um, and, and just how we live our life in different spheres in general, other than just what's written in the pages of scripture. You open yourself up to the possibility that you're willing to compromise on other things because you've compromised on, again, that word foundation of what is actually written in the Bible. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that churches need to do um, is to make sure that people understand the literal nature of Genesis, because that's going to one erase the doubts hopefully <laughs> erase the, the sort of rabbit trailing to doubt. And it also will, will makes people um, take seriously the fact that there is spiritual warfare, right? Because if you don't think that Genesis has happened exactly as it said, then you might doubt the fact, right? That there's a seed of seed of the woman and then a seed of, well, Satan, and that there is a spiritual warfare going on because there th that's an element that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, uh, it just sort of eludes them 
that um that there is a spiritual dimension to all this stuff and i mean that's part of being a a born again christian is that you are a christian soldier i know that terms like that aren't (laughs) sort of are sort of frowned upon these days but you are a christian soldier as soon as you get saved you're enlisted in the war you know you can't just sit on the sidelines you're enlisted as a member of god's army and 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 i'm not trying to sound like i'm stirring up violence here people that's not what i'm talking about i mean a spiritual army to actually go out there and do the transforming that we're talking about in the in the name of our master our king which is christ which is, who is god yeah yeah that is that is so true i think that the um i think evolution is probably the single biggest uh, factor that satan has used to undermine christianity to uh, to render us powerless mm-hmm. uh, as demonstrated by the crumbling of western civilization mm-hmm. over the last uh, number of years mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there's great ministries out there. There's one answers in Genesis. Uh, if you Google answers in Genesis, another one creation ministries international. Um, these are what there's websites they have that have got all kinds of archives of tremendous information. Uh, I used to think evolution was true back when I was in high school because uh, it wasn't until I was in my last year of high school that I really came alive as a Christian and, and then I started to uh, hear about biblical uh, creation. And so I started to read about that. And and it quickly became very evident to me that the case for a young earth, like six literal days and, and, a, and an earth approximately 6,000 years old, that the physical, like geological and, and scientific evidence for that mm-hmm. was far, far, far stronger than this idea that nothing exploded and became everything. Um that, you know, that order came from chaos. I mean, it, none of these things make any sense when you stop and just think even for a moment about, about it. And, um, but those organizations, Answers in Genesis and Creation Ministries International, they uh, have got tremendous resources. And they, uh, you know, of course, the mainstream media doesn't talk about the kind of things that they have on their websites because it goes against the narrative that we evolved from, uh, from, you know, a, a pool of goo somewhere to be what we are now right and of course that also influences all the other things we're talking about for example um human sexuality if you don't believe that literally happened then you also doubt that god did say that i created them male and female right no that's that's exactly right and, and another another side of that scenario is that if if you believe in evolution then you believe that humans are just another animal and that we're not really any different than the animals, and therefore we we should behave like animals. And then, what do you see? That's exactly what's going on: is that yeah. people are behaving like a bunch of animals, and they and there's no there's no value in in human life. So babies are being killed in their mother's womb, which is a, just a horrible genocide, and um, and and it's all fed by this idea. I mean, I mean, abortion has been around since long before the idea of evolution, but the idea of aborting babies is fed by that whole idea that, oh, we're just animals, so what's the big deal? Um, But the Bible teaches about the sanctity of life because it says that we as humans are created in God's image, which is uh, a very, very special thing uh, amongst God's creation. But yeah, I do think that's a, a bedrock of everything. That's a lot of what has gone wrong 
in our society goes back to to that and uh, of course that's also going to have a factor on if you have as i mentioned have any standards at all because if if we did just evolve then there's no standards and then that actually feeds into the idea of what laws we should have because Mm -hmm. if there's no objective authority and there's no objective right and wrong, and there's no right laws or wrong laws. Right, yeah, that's right. Another thing I want to touch on is um, the misunderstanding that people have in regards to um, Christian or biblical uh, nations, and the fact that a lot of people have the misunderstanding that um, by endorsing a Christian nation, um, or biblical nation, whatever term you want to use, same thing, um, that by doing so, you're basically saying that you are supporting, you know, putting a gun to every single person's head and making them, you know, swear to be a Christian and force conversions and, and things like that, which we know isn't the case. But if you could maybe explain a little bit more uh, about that in particular and how that's a um, major misconception about um, what would happen in a Christian Canada or anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, the, uh, the the thing about Christianity is that we do not win people to our point of view at the tip of a spear or mm-hmm. at the end of a gun. Um, we persuade people. People become Christians one heart and mind at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's totally voluntary. And so um, people have nothing to fear. Like we cannot impose a Christian nation or a Christian or Christian values upon Canadians because of the, the, the nature of the government that we have. We would have to have a majority of, um, of people representing Canadians in Ottawa who were of this conviction. And, and just knowing what we know about politicians, they're not going to, they're not going to be um, voting into uh, into law, uh, Christian laws, unless a huge number of Canadians are, are of that mind and of that uh, mm-hmm. desire. And so uh, people don't have to worry about Christian values being forced upon them. It's a, it's a case of um, when there's enough Canadians to say, yeah, you know mm-hmm. what, we do want laws that reflect these values, then they can do it by the democratic process. Mm-hmm. So that's how it works. Yep, um, absolutely. And I, I think that is one of the one of the biggest misconceptions about biblical lawmaking in general, is that uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a country wherever it might be that's that's using the Bible and Christianity as its as its origin for its laws must mm-hmm. be some sort of you know tyrannical. <laughs> um, a dystopia sort of world but that's you're you're right that's not the case at all um and um um even amongst people who um um are incredibly extreme in some of their views in terms of what they would want in a christian um system even they would say in their books and in the stuff that they've written that you can't force that on a nation, right? Um, 
any sort of, let's say you were the most extreme, let's say you were a complete reconstructionist, right? You wanted to completely reconstruct the entire nation, right? To be theonomic or something like that. Even they would say that you, you can't force that, right? Like that comes through regeneration. And, mm-hmm. and then as people are regenerated, they then look to the Bible for what are the standards for the law throughout the Bible that are still applicable today. And then they decide to voluntarily have that law and force it. But you can't actually, yeah, you're right. You can't actually, and I don't, I don't know anyone actually that I've read who, who would want any sort of Christian nation, no matter what sort of group you end up being in, who would actually argue that they would want that or that that's even possible because it has to be um, come through as you were mentioning earlier, a revival or generation through the Holy Spirit. It can't be forced. No, it can't be forced. And, and uh, I'll just read a quote here from Carlton Hayes. He was a history professor at Columbia University. And uh, he said, wherever Christian ideals have been generally accepted and their practice sincerely attempted, there is a dynamic liberty. And wherever Christianity had been ignored or rejected, persecuted or chained to the state, there is tyranny. So history has shown that um, uh, wherever you have Christianity, you have flourishing, freedom and flourishing. And where you don't, you have tyranny. And that's, uh, unfortunately, it appears that most Canadians um, are going to need to experience tyranny firsthand mm-hmm. before that sinks in. And, um, and but thanks to podcasts like yours and, uh, and just getting the word out, you know, hopefully we can, uh, hopefully we can, educate people sooner rather than later because the longer it takes for people to wake up the harder it's going to be to get ourselves out of the hole that we've we've gone into yeah uh, absolutely 